listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. For the reading of God's Word from the book of Ruth, chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return, each of you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death departs me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, 
who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning we are beginning uh, a journey through one of the most moving stories in the entire Bible. Uh, It has all the elements uh, of an epic story, Uh, despair and tragedy and loss and hope and courage and triumph. Uh, You don't need to uh, look to stream some uh, drama or romance movie, in fact, for the next month. You just come to worship and, and you'll get all of it together. Uh, But I want to ask you not to do what uh, my wife and I sometimes do when we are reading a novel, which is turn to the back and find out how it comes out to decide if you want to read all of it. Don't read ahead, because we want to actually experience this story as the characters in it are experiencing it, and and as the people would have heard it uh, when they were uh, entering into it. Uh, And it's not just a story. It is a story within the story. Uh, a story of which we are all a part, uh, an epic tale of how God is going to rescue and create a people for himself, uh, to bring people uh, from despair to delight uh, and from hurt to hope. And you and I find ourselves in the middle of that story. Uh, So here's a quick rundown of what's going on. Naomi and her husband and their two sons live in Bethlehem, which means house of bread, and it's kind of ironic because there's no bread there. And it seems like the choices are to stay and die or go somewhere else. So they move to Moab, one of the ancient enemies of God's people. And their chief gods in Moab, Molech and Chemosh, were worshipped through sexual immorality and child sacrifice. But they've got food. And they seem to offer security and prosperity. And yet going to Moab is a rejection in one sense of everything that God's people believed in and stood for. So they go to Moab. And Elimelech dies. Naomi's a widow. And and then the sons marry Moabite women, women whose gods might demand child sacrifice someday. And another gut-wrenching loss. There are no children. And, and then the sons die. No one to carry on the family line. More disappointment. Her life, her loved ones, her dreams, her hopes, her security are all gone. And the God that she grew up worshiping and trusting has done this to her. And it looks like God has given her nothing but sorrow and pain in return. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe that's where some of you have been. The thing that you long for, the thing that you're looking for is nowhere to be found. God doesn't seem to be answering those prayers for help. Or you find yourself in a new place in an unfamiliar chapter or season of life and it doesn't look like there's a happy ending in store. Or maybe you look around and and you wonder, how did I end up here? How did I get to this place? Death strikes your family, or the pain just won't go away. Maybe it's loneliness and regret that no one seems to understand, or the things that you're struggling with that you'd be ashamed to tell anyone is part of who you are. 
Or you look around, maybe at our world, at things that seem sad or serious or scary, and you clearly have no way to solve those things. There's no way out, and the light at the end of the tunnel may very well be a freight train. Is there any hope in the middle of all that suffering? What, what does it do to a person? Well, maybe you heard what it did to Naomi. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because the Lord has made my life very bitter. Don't call me pleasant or lovely anymore. That's what Naomi means. Call me bitter because that's what I've gotten from God. I went away full, she says, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. But then Naomi hears there's bread in Bethlehem, and so she makes plans to return with her two daughters-in-law starting to go with her, and, and this is like, I think we're meant to read this as like the, the, the ultimate and kind of ugly crying, like they're, they're clinging to each other, and it's probably snot and tears, and you know, it's just this incredibly powerful scene where they're being wrenched apart from each other. And she tells them, go back to your family, go back and have husbands and babies there. And Orpah listens to her, but Ruth says, verses 16 and 17, no, no, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And so these two women make their way to Bethlehem and the last words from the author in verse 22, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Maybe a thread of hope. But that's where the story ends, at least for today. So many questions, right? So many things going on here. What do we do with this? Is there hope in all this suffering and all this loss? Is there hope in our suffering? That's what we want to look at from Ruth chapter 1 today. So if, if you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles. You can pull out one of the Bibles uh, in front of you. It's on page 262. And we just want to look at, at three things that seem to stand out here in what God is telling us in, in a narrative text. So it, it takes a little more observation and paying attention to some of the details and nuances. The first thing I think that we're supposed to get from this is suffering can make us lose our perspective. Suffering can make us lose our perspective. Here again what Naomi is saying, that the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. He has testified against me. The Almighty has brought calamity, brought evil on me, literally. Oh, there's a time to grieve. It is important for us to lament, to, to cry out to God, to acknowledge what is messed up and broken, what we've lost, the, the hurts and pains that others have experienced in bitter providences. But has God really dealt bitterly with her? Has he been unfair? The language reflects a, a judgment in court. Uh, the Lord has testified against me. And it suggests that God has called her to account and found her guilty. And, and if that's the case, who is to blame for Naomi being guilty before God if she's really done something wrong? Look maybe more closely at, at verse 21. I left full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Is that really what's going on? I, I mean, there's food in Bethlehem. That, that's why she's there. She's literally going to Bethlehem because not only has she been fed in Moab for 10 years, but now there's food back in her hometown. She's, she's not empty. She's in Bethlehem because God's provision is there. And there's a loyal, loving daughter-in-law with her. I, I mean, imagine the scene, right? You're, you're Ruth, and you know that you're a Moabite, and you're not going to be particularly welcome in Bethlehem like a skunk at a garden party, as my grandmother used to say. And Naomi is standing there saying, I left full and I've come back empty. And, and you're standing next to her and you're uh, empty. I'm, I'm here. Hello. No one acknowledges her. She, she's totally ignored and overlooked, not just by Naomi, but by everyone in the town. Is she empty? No, there's, there's a loving family member here with her. Suffering can warp our perspective. So much that, that it changes even how we see ourselves. Don't call me lovely anymore. Call me bitter. There's nothing good in my life. There, there's nothing pleasant. There's nothing left. There, there's nothing but sorrow. I am my pain and my loss and my suffering, she says. And you know, I, I so appreciate the honesty of Scripture, how it does not gloss over or, or try to paint a pretty picture of the ugliness and the hard reality of life and in the lives of God's people. People who walk with the Lord, as you know, experience suffering and loss and disappointment. And if we're honest, there are times when we identify with Naomi, maybe even sound like her. Don't you ever feel like the providence of God has been hard on you? Haven't you felt, maybe you even feel right now that, that, that what you're going through is too heavy to bear. That, that it's just been one thing after another after another. Or maybe it's that one big thing that just never seems to get any better or go anywhere. But we are not hopeless. We are not bereft. We are not empty. We're never maybe as full as we would like to be, but we are never as empty as we sometimes are tempted to think we are. Naomi cannot see what she has because she is focused at what she doesn't have. Stop looking at the holes in your life, Naomi, is what God is saying to her, to us. I mean, maybe that's what God is saying to us as a church. I mean, God has been so good to us. He's been faithful. He's been kind. And, and no, like, 95% of the congregations in America, we don't have as many people here as we did two years ago for all kinds of reasons, pandemic and death and losses and, and all kinds of things. We don't have as many people serving in key ministries, and that's still a need, but, but we are not empty. God has not forgotten us. God's not abandoned us. Lift up your eyes, Naomi, God is saying. See how God has provided. Boy, the, the church in America has been rocked in recent years with scandal after scandal after scandal, and it makes us wonder if there's anything good. And, and, and for every big-name Christian leader who implodes and makes a mess of his life and his ministry, there are a hundred imperfect but faithful, good, loving, kind leaders. For, for every pastor or priest or preacher who abuses the trust that was placed in him and turns out to be a wolf, there are a thousand faithful shepherds. 
but we're still loving and serving the flock. Be careful because suffering can make us lose our perspective. And then when we lose perspective, it can make us compromise our values. You know, some of the background to this is the, the warnings and the promises that God gave his people back in Deuteronomy. As you go into this land, God said, be careful that you, your hearts don't become hardened and you'll go off after other gods. And if you do, you will be cursed. You will suffer in your family and in your finances and, and in, in your work and in your farming. But if you will listen and obey me, I will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour blessings out on you. You'll be blessed in your family and blessed in your work and blessed in your food. And the narrator tells us this is in the days when the judges ruled. If you know anything about your Old Testament history, you remember after the people enter the promised land, Joshua dies and there's no leader. And everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And it's just this cycle of sin and rebellion and God's deliverance and then they forget and they go back and they keep spiraling. As we get to the end of the book of Judges, it keeps getting worse and worse and darker and darker. Famine is a terrible reality. I imagine that most of us have no idea what that's really like to starve, to have no idea how we're going to feed our kids because there's no food in the fields, there's no food in the stores, and there's no prospect of any showing up. But God has told them what to do. These people, if they will repent, if they will return to him, he will forgive them and he will restore them and, and he will stop their discipline. That was an option in this case, right? Because not everyone left. When Naomi goes back to Bethlehem, it's not a ghost town. There were still people living there. Apparently, there were people who stayed and trusted and waited and repented, and God relented of his discipline. Elimelech means, my God is king. If Yahweh is king, then Elimelech is supposed to know what to do. You confess your sin, you own the sin of your people, you repent of it, you pray, and you wait for God's deliverance with hope. What God is king over his life? It makes me wonder what God is king over my life when I get in hard times and I'm tempted to turn somewhere. I mean, it's not just that they go to Moab. I mean, after Elimelech dies, now what's Naomi going to do? She's got two sons. They're living in Moab. They end up marrying Moabite women and all that comes with it, all her dreams for good godly Israelite daughters evaporate because now her sons are married to these women who've grown up in this culture of immorality and idolatry and even child sacrifice. And amazingly, as to these daughters-in-law on the way back to Bethlehem, no, don't come with me. Go back to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you and give you husbands in your own country, in verse 8. And, and then in verse 15, uh, you know, Orpah has said, okay, I, I guess I will. But Ruth says, no, I'm not going to. Naomi says, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go with her. 
How do you end up saying that as a follower of Yahweh? Go back to your idols? Go, go back to the, to the evil powers that, that demand your sacrifice and, and give you nothing in return and, and can't even help you? How could Naomi say this? Because she doesn't believe God has anything good to give her. God has left me empty. I have nothing left. He, he's been no good to me, and so there's no hope that it's going to be good to you. You might as well go back to Molech. Maybe he'll help you. Maybe you can make your life turn out better than mine did. Ever been there? Ever, ever been that empty, that hurt, that angry, that bitter, that lonely, that hungry, that desperate? To say, I, I'm willing to try anything at this point. Maybe you've made choices or found yourself going places physically or on the internet or saying things that in saner moments you, you never thought you would say. Amelia and I have had a good marriage, but it, it's been a challenging marriage because two sinful people married each other and we've struggled to stop being sinful to each other. And what's the very first complaint Adam makes in the face of his own sin? It's that woman you, you gave me. You gave me defective merchandise. That's our temptation, isn't it? To blame God. It's God's fault. And, and Amelia can relate to the story of uh, Ruth Graham, Billy's wife, uh, when he was, you know, at the height of his traveling ministry and they're raising young kids and he's not around very much. And she, in an interview, was asked one time, it must be difficult. Have you ever considered divorce? And she said, divorce? No. Murder? Yes. And my wife says, amen. <laughs> Suffering can make us compromise our values. And that's at that point of desperation that we need to see suffering can also make us grow in faith. That's, that's what God wants us to see here. Naomi's faith is almost gone. Pain and fear and doubt and loss can do that to you. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there now. And the reality is there's no easy answer for this because suffering is part of life. I mean, Jesus tells us in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, he says. I have overcome the world. I am greater than the suffering in this world that you were experiencing. I am greater than what this world can do to you, and there is hope in the suffering if you're with me. And the first hope, I think, there is that God actually invites us to be honest with him in what we're experiencing and what we're feeling. Naomi sounds a lot like Job. She sounds a lot like Jeremiah. She sounds a lot like the psalm writers who've had everything taken away and there doesn't seem to be any good and they pour their heart out to God. Mark Buchanan, a Christian author, pastor, writes this, why does Ruth follow this bitter woman, this, this Mara who blames God for all of her heartache? This is not exactly being a winsome ambassador you know, in our, in our church vision, as we'd say it. But there's something different here. Naomi holds nothing back. She pounds her fists in God's chest. She yells in his face. She lays all the blame at his feet, and Ruth could never do that with Molech. Try it, Buchanan says. Go to the God who demands that you sacrifice for him and tell him that you're not satisfied. Tell him that he's brutal, and you're bitter, and you'd like to speak with the manager. Molech does not care. He's not the kind of God to put up with your grievances. 
Naomi's God can handle her deepest pain even as she blames him for it. No one outside Israel has ever seen this before. No other faith ever anywhere is like this that you can complain about God to God. Be honest. Don't, don't put a polite Christian veneer on it. You've got to get the poison out. You, you, you've got to be honest to get to the healing. Because as we seek the truth and we love the truth, then we can also hear the truth that we need as well. God invites us to be honest with him, and God also wants us to see that he's at work in our suffering even when we can't see it. God's hand is present in these natural events. We read there was a famine in the land, and we maybe think of high-pressure systems or warm fronts or whatever. But God's people would have heard it in the context of those warnings and promises in a covenant relationship to his people. If they obey, there will be blessings and security and peace, and if they disobey, there's pain and sorrow. And those are promises, remember, for God's covenant people in the Old Testament. We're not Israel, and we don't live in the promised land, so we cannot assume that all suffering is a result of sin, and we cannot assume that prosperity is a result of obedience and godliness. But God is still totally sovereign over everything that happens in this world and in your life. He is, as Naomi says, El Shaddai, God Almighty. There's not one detail outside of his sovereignty. There's not one thing happening in the book of Ruth that is attributed to chance. In coming weeks, we're, we're going to see his hand at work in the events in this world, in the choices and responses of people, in the outcomes that he orchestrates, in negotiations of a, of a court deal, of, of a legal arrangement, all to accomplish his purposes. Naomi has a, a, a pretty weak faith in God, but is stronger than when we say things like, well, you know, God's doing the best he can, or, you know, there's some things beyond his control. No, we have a God who is all-powerful, who rules over everything. The sovereignty of God is a rock to stand on in the middle of suffering. We can stand in the difficulty of suffering and affirm that he is sovereign over nature, over illness, over cancer, over unemployment, over family crises, over social upheaval, even over death, over all our circumstances. And, and brothers and sisters, if he is not sovereign, then there is no hope in the promise that God is working in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But if he is great, then how do we affirm that he's good with the hard, painful things that he brings into our lives? Naomi says, the Lord has brought me back empty. Yahweh has afflicted me. That's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Yahweh, God's covenant name, the name that expresses his loving kindness and his faithfulness and his goodness to his people. How is God good in this diagnosis? How is God good when the doctor comes in and says, we, we tried everything and I'm sorry? God gives us grace in the suffering. 
There's grace in this part of the story. God has not abandoned his people. God has not stopped being good to them. No, God has in fact visited his people. He's opened heaven. He's poured out bread again and filled their barns. God has not abandoned Naomi or forgotten about her. I mean, he continues to bless her with common graces, food and shelter and clothing and loved ones and a measure of health. And God sustains you day by day with common grace. His mercies are new every morning because great is his faithfulness. It's a promise in the Bible before it was a hymn. More than that, he's made Naomi his child. She's in a covenant relationship with him that, that has brought her to a knowledge of him and access to his forgiveness and his presence in her life. Don't overlook the grace of God in your suffering. Because even more than that, Yahweh has brought this Moabite woman to Naomi's life. Of all people, this foreigner, this pagan, who commits to stick with Naomi and her God no matter what. Do not urge me to leave you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people, my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And in the ancient Near East, where you died had implications for the afterlife. I mean, she's not even just committing herself for this life, but her, her future and her destiny and her eternity. I mean, this is an amazing expression of radical self-sacrifice and, and trust and kindness. She is abandoning every security that anyone, let alone a poor widow in that context, would have clung to her homeland, her people, even her gods. Because Ruth is the one who sees a purpose and a plan in the pain that she is experiencing. Or at least hopes that there can be one beyond the pain and in the pain. But Ruth is not really the hero. Ruth is reflecting the, the loving kindness, the self-sacrifice, the commitment of Jesus. Most of all, this is supposed to point us to God's grace in the Savior who knows suffering, who suffered for us, who suffers with us, and who will never leave us or forsake us, and not even death can separate you from him or him from you. Mark Buchanan goes on in this devotional in Ruth, no other God ever anywhere has acted this way, taking the fall for things that have gone awry in his creation. No other God ever anywhere welcomes us to lay the yoke of our sorrow and bitterness on his shoulders and drive the nails of our grievances and sins through his flesh. <laughs> Suffering is not the end of the story for Naomi. It's not the end of our story. It's only part of the story. Naomi is saying, I'm empty. I have nothing. And what she doesn't see right next to her is this Moabite, this foreigner, who is the blessing of God in her life. In this moment when she thinks God is gone, he's actually laying the foundation for the greatest demonstration, that the greatest kindness. This is going to be a story of how Naomi moves from emptiness to fullness and how God's people are, are taken from spiritual brokenness and moral chaos to renewal and strength and healing not just to his people, but to the entire world. And Naomi can't see it now because she's in the middle of it. But she's part of God's work to, to bless 
everyone and everything around her. And that's true of us. There is a thread, at least a thread, of grace and hope and purpose and kindness of God in our suffering. Oh, see the picture here that God paints for us. This is the hope of the gospel. It's God's rescue of us because we are Elimelech and Ruth. We are the people that run away from God and go to a foreign place and attach ourselves to whatever gods or powers or plans or pursuits offer us hope and fulfillment. We are Ruth, born into a culture of immorality and idolatry, children of disobedience. We're not the heroes of the story. We're never the hero. We're the ones who get rescued. The real hero is the one who comes in, comes into our sin and suffering, and opens his arms to, to pay for it and to welcome all those broken, sinful, suffering, needy, repentant people. The book of Ruth is part of this picture that's all throughout Scripture of a God who pursues people in their sin and even uses their sinful choices in his purposes because he's setting the stage, not just in Naomi's life, but in our lives for the demonstration of his grace. That's the hope and suffering, that Christ has taken it all, all the sin and suffering and sorrow on himself so that we are not defined by it. Our names are not Mara and bitter and empty our names are child of God, beloved, blessed, yes and amen in Jesus Christ. We're not defined by our lineage, not by the country that we came from, not, not from the mess that we grew up in or that we're even living in. We've been freed. We are now part of the people of God and the promise of God and the purpose of God. And he's demonstrated it by turning the tragedy of cross into the triumph of salvation and hope for all who trust in him. That's the hope of the gospel in your suffering, in our suffering. Naomi has experienced tremendous loss, and we may experience tremendous losses, but oh, remember that God is not far off. He has not abandoned you. He is not bitter to you. He will show himself to you in the suffering. He'll show himself faithful. God is your hope in the suffering. Hope in him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this word, this story, this lived-out gospel that's about all of us. Oh, Father, we can see in our own lives how suffering can warp our perspective and compromise our values. Oh, help us to see even more that in the suffering there is hope and faith and growth as we trust in you. Oh God, help us to see that for ourselves and for one another, that we would be a people who could speak words of hope in the middle of the pain and the loss, words of faith that is greater than fear. Thank you. Thank you that you do that for us in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.